right, everybody. Good evening. My name is Ryan Miner, and you are listening to a Minor Detail Radio live. This is a live edition. And if you are watching on David Blair's campaign Facebook page, um, we are also broadcasting live, which is a rarity for me because I don't typically do that. I am, I'm a radio guy. I got the, the, the face for radio, as they say. But um, this is an exciting opportunity. Um, I have a Montgomery County executive candidate, and he's going to spend the next hour with me. And I'm going to go ahead and introduce him. David, thanks for, thanks for joining the show for the first time. Thank you, Ryan, for having me. Yeah, this is exciting. You are running, running for Montgomery County executive, Maryland's largest county. There's over a million people here. What is it, a million and one? That's right. Yeah. 1.1 million residents. Okay. And so, you know, just the format tonight, and as we were doing this off camera and off air, uh, I was just telling David, it's just a relaxed setting. Candidates who've been on with me, they they often say, "Oh, that was that was painless." So uh-huh. we'll go easy on you tonight. So my my goal is for the first half an hour, we're just going to introduce David, get to know him, get to know his background, and his a little bit about his family and how he got started in politics and what his career was like and how it's prepared him to be the next county executive of where we live. And David and I are. We're, we're somewhat neighbors. I live in North Potomac, and you're in Potomac. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So we're just going to go ahead and jump in, and if you're watching on Facebook Live, that's great. Um, and you can always find me on the web at aminordetail.com, and I'm live every Sunday night. And this is election season, so I'm going to be doing lots of interviews with candidates, and this is exciting for me because this is a great time of the year. So, Mr. Blair, you are 48 years old. It's your first public run public office adventure but you didn't come from the political world you came from the business world and as a lifelong montgomery county resident you grew up in darnstown that's right so talk about let's talk about your childhood first and you you're you you come from a family that is somewhat political and but you grew up in darnstown you went to public schools right I, i went to public school went to darnstown elementary and then, um, and then I guess that was a long time ago, early yeah. 80s. And um, we <laughs> the good on, years. Yeah. And so, no, I, it wasn't a political background. My dad um, was a, really a serial entrepreneur in the healthcare service space. And so growing up as a kid, I would see my dad start these businesses um, in Montgomery County, and he would grow them, he would grow them and ultimately he would sell them, mm-hmm. um, or they would merge with another bigger company. Um, so... Growing up in Montgomery County, a lot of changes here, right? So, Darnstown was, it's, you know, that's considered up county. Yeah. And I, I live in North Potomac, and I remember when Crown was a field. Yeah. It's just a, a big old field. So, I'm sure you've seen a lot of those changes and a lot of the development that has happened over the last 15, 20, 30 years. And so, when you went through the public school system, um, you graduated and you went to Clemson? Right. And just to be clear, Ryan, so I went to, um, public school through eighth grade and then went to Bullis for high school. Okay. So Bullis is, and that's in Potomac, right? That's correct. Okay. Graduated, went to Clemson and you majored in business. Yeah. Finance. In finance? Finance and accounting. What, what was the impetus behind the business background? You could have done anything, but you chose business. Well, that was, you know, seeing, I mean, a lot of that was from watching my dad and it was just kind of what I thought you were supposed to do. And, and Ryan, you know, earlier you mentioned, the change in Montgomery County. So growing up in Darnstown, um, during the summers, I, I worked for Mr. Kelly. He had a farm and we were, I was a corn picker. We would pick corn. And now 
all those fields of corn are now you know, housing developments, and that's it, it looks very much different than it did, you know, when I was growing up there. Yeah. So Darnstown, were you off 28? We were. We yeah. were off 28. Did you live on a farm? No, we we lived in a nice little neighborhood um, yeah. out in Darnstown, but the Mr. Kelly's farm was. I don't know, but just about a mile from our house. And so every morning we get up at the crack of dawn. How many kids are in your family? So I have an older brother and a younger sister. Okay. Yeah. And so Montgomery County has always been home for you. Always been home. Um, this is where I met my wife. It's where we're raising our family. It's where I started my business. Um, no, so it's a it's a wonderful place to live. Yeah, I I agree. I I haven't been a lifelong Montgomery County, and I've I grew up in Western Maryland, and then um, I found this wonderful. Uh, my better half, and we moved to uh, North Potomac, and really, really, ever since I, I've moved to Montgomery County, I've, I've loved it. It's been um, the, the schools are excellent. Uh, the community is a place that we feel welcomed and comfortable, and we're we've just been happy here. And I think the quality of life, we've the, the community is it's it's really a strong quality of life where people live, and they they're happy here, and so. When when you were growing up, and you said you talked about your dad a little bit, right. and so talk talk about a little bit about what your dad has done in the healthcare industry, and then how that that sparked your interest to jump into that same that career choice. Sure. So 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 when um, in the early seventies there was a um, the HMO the HMO Act was passed, and um, and my dad Tom Blair started a company that helped health plans get federally qualified so they could run HMOs. And then it turned really into a technology company because they had to develop the systems so that HMOs could adjudicate claims and you know pay benefits and that type of thing. And so that was his first entry into the uh, healthcare service companies. And then later he got into preferred uh, provider organizations and other healthcare type companies. And so even when I was in college, even though I was um, studying finance and accounting was my major, I took a number of healthcare policy classes just because I knew that's what I was likely to do when I graduated. So you, after you graduated, um, did you go to work immediately with your dad or did you jump into another business before you ultimately decided to work with, with your dad? Yeah. So, um, so when I graduated from college, I actually, um, went to work for a small consulting company in Washington, DC. Um, and I did that for about three years. And then um, one of my dad's friends called us up one day and said, there's a small business set aside contract. Um, I think you and your brother would be great at running it. So my brother and I actually started a small company. Um, this was, I guess, in the early 90s that provided COBRA type benefits for individuals leaving the military. Mm-hmm. So we would collect premiums. We would um, send out ID cards. And um, it was the, I remember the contract paid $250,000 a year. It was, it was a five year contract. And we thought that was more money than we could ever possibly imagine. And, um, and so that's how, that was like my first entry in this business. I was probably in my you know, early 20s when we did that. And the, it's a, the, health, service, the health services company um, that then you ultimately jumped into, um, you served as the chief executive officer. Right. So then, yeah. So then fast forward a couple of years later, um, I started uh, with this company called Health Extras. And um, the original premise of the company was to provide supplemental health and disability benefits to individuals. And because one of the things that we were aware of was that um, there's huge gaps in insurance coverage. Mm -hmm. And so, and back then before the affordable care act, many health plans had a million dollar cap on the benefits. And then another, another um, factor that we 
realized was that individuals didn't have adequate disability coverage. So we actually started working with the late Christopher Reeve, um, who Superman actor. Yeah. And he helped us promote those products um, because he experienced the precise problem that our products were meant to address. Yeah, he had he went through the tragic horse accident, right. and then I know he became so he became a spokesman. Or did he help from? You said yep. you pro, promoted some of your products. Yeah, yep. he was our spokesperson, and he was fabulous. And he what was great about Christopher Reeve was he so deeply believed in the products because when he was disabled, he had he didn't have adequate disability insurance. So he had no idea of the cost. He had to you know, buy a customized van. He had to get his house um, fitted. And so all of those costs he had to pay for out of pocket. And so even when we took the company public uh, on the roadshow, he, he came to the New York luncheon with all the investors and, yeah. and he spoke about how deeply he believed in what we were trying to do. So just to back up a bit, after you came back from college, um, did you move back into, you said you, you went to DC for a while. I worked in DC. You worked in DC, I but lived you in, lived in, yeah, lived back home. You Rockville, still yeah. in Rockville. So Rockville's always Rockville, Darnstown, Upper Montgomery County. It's yeah. always been home base for you. Yeah. It, it was a short. We lived in Flower Valley when I was a little kid, which is out um, so near near Silver Spring. Yeah, by Leisure World. Yeah. yeah, and yeah, now you're in Potomac. Yeah, and um, all of your kids are have grown up here in Montgomery County as well. Right. That's yeah, and you know I look at our kids. Our kids go to. Um, they go to Robert Frost. Our, our son's going to go to Wooten next okay. year. So we're excited. Okay. And it's it's a big transition. So we have a fifth grader and we have a, an eighth grader. So it's 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 quite a dynamic. Right. One's a boy, one's a girl. Um, and you and your wife, um, you always refer to it endearingly as a blended family. Right. And so you were married before and then you met your – and by the way, I, I met your wife and she too could be a candidate for yeah. something. Uh-huh. She is – she is a cool person, and we'll we'll talk about her business yeah. adventure because I'm like thinking of coming over and hanging out there. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, but you have six children. Yep. She has what three? No, no. So so blended marriage. So I have three um, for my first, and mm-hmm. she has one from her first, and we have two together. Okay. And so they rent. The, our youngest is six years old, and then they go up to our, our oldest is twenty. Twenty. And is and you said is he in Clemson? Yep, he's at Clemson University. Yeah. I wonder why he went to Clemson yeah. because of dad. Yeah. yeah. And what's is he trying to get into business as well? Yes, he he's pursuing a business degree as well. And he told me off air that. You're six two, yeah. right? So in in high school, are you an athlete? I tried to be an athlete. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I tried. I tried it. Would you play basketball? Played basketball, baseball, all the classics. I'd be very. It's very presumptuous because my father, he played. He's six foot three, and he played. He played basketball. And he, yeah. he coached basketball for the longest yeah. time, and uh, but so um, so basketball at bowls. You know what? So I I. I didn't play any sport particularly well. Yeah. I tried. I, I was the kid that tried the hardest. I was a kid uh, who sat on the bench a lot, but when I got in, I was the kid that was diving, you know, into the stands trying yeah. to get a loose ball and whatnot. Did you play any college ball? No. No. We played intramurals. You all know, right. all the intramural stuff we played, but nothing. You know, Clemson was pretty competitive back then. Clemson's a great school. They have yeah. an excellent sports program. They do. I, my son has no idea how lucky he is that, you know, he's been there. This is his third year, yeah. and they've been to the national championship game. Yeah, you know, three years or you know, playoffs three years in a row. So, what is your um, your son? Is he looking to get in to jump into business and follow in your footsteps? You know what? So he's got a real passion for sports. It's interesting, and so he really wants to get into sports management. So, oh wow! Yeah, you know a little th- you know a thing or two about sports. A little bit, right? Yeah. A little so bit. let's talk about. Um, I want to just bounce around a little bit. Sure. Um, you um, and I. 
I probably shouldn't tell you this, but I'm a Pens fan. Okay. So I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, yep. I'm a big Penn, a Pittsburgh thing. Which I went to my undergraduate was was in Pittsburgh at Duquesne University. So, um, you know, if you saw a couple fraternity guys trying to scalp those twenty dollar tickets uh, when we had the twenty bucks in our pocket, we would always sit up in the worst seats. But man, we loved watch the Pens mm-hmm. and the Caps play. Yeah. So um, you you got into um, a, a partnership of sorts, right? Yep. And let's talk about that. Um, what is your affiliation with the Washington sports team? Oh, sure. So this probably goes back four or five years ago. Um, Ted Leontis, um, who doesn't live far from me, asked me if I wanted to consider um, becoming a minority partner in monumental sports. Mm-hmm. And um, my wife and I quickly raised our hands and said this would be amazing. And so, um, so we participate um, as a minority owner. And it's been a fabulous experience. Yeah. yeah. So that's um, so that's Capitals. It's the Capitals, Wizards, and the Mystics, as well as the Capital One Arena. And the Wizards play now. It's not the Verizon Center anymore, right? Right. They changed it. Yeah. Capital One Arena. It's the Capital One Arena. That's right. And so right above, the, I used to work right across the street in Chinatown. Okay. Um, for a technology company, and so we would go over after work, and we would, um, so. There's this little restaurant called Vapiano's, mm-hmm. and we would walk right across the street, go into the Capital One Center, right? Um, but it used to be the Verizon right. Center, um, and then sometimes right around the corner we go to the Green Turtle, yep, and sure, uh, another great Maryland mm-hmm. uh, restaurant, and uh, we we had we had many good times spent there. We'd go to Clyde's right around the corner, right? So um, do you get to go to a lot of the games? I used to. Yeah. We used to. Can't now. No, we've been pretty busy. <laughs> yeah, you've been busy. <laughs> yeah. So, um, what's that? You know, I think every man's goal, I mean, every man um, that I've ever probably known, including my father and grandfather, we all love sports. And I think it would be a, an absolute dream to be a minority partner with any sports teams. Right. My grandfather, he would love to be a Red Sox minority owner. Yeah. Um, but that has to be just exhilarating. It's it's been a lot of fun. Yeah. It's been great. Yeah. It's a, it's a great, it's a great organization. Um, Ted's phenomenal. You meet the it, players? Um, not really. Yeah. You know, Ovechkin? There's, there's a couple events where a couple family events each year that we have to meet the players. Yeah. Man, those guys are tough. I don't know if I could ever play hockey. No. Uh, I, I tell you what, I, you know, go and, but the Wizards, I've, I've actually not been to a Wizards game, but okay. I've been to a Capitals game. Uh-huh. So that has to be, like I said, I think, a, a lot of guys, if, if, if you're a male and you're listening, you're like, man, being a minority owner with the, uh, with yeah. the team, that's, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm a little envious. I got to admit, but, uh, so, you know, you and your wife, um, you started a business here in Montgomery County as well. I did. Uh, in addition to, um, your, the business, we'll talk about right. selling what, you know, when you sold it right. and whatnot, but let's talk about what your wife's adventure is now. Sure. So, so um, I appreciate the, the kind things that you said about her because uh-huh. she, she is a, amazing. And she's, she's cool. And, and she's such a huge supporter of, of mine. I mean, she's, I mean, she was here the other night yeah. when you were here for um, the kickoff event that we had. Um, she did a nice job, you know, chatting with everybody, introducing you know, various people. Um, so she, for years, um, has had an idea around a business that would cater to children. And the premise was really you know, kids need to get out and run around. Um, and the weather in this area isn't that nice, you know, most of the year, yeah. right? Too, too hot, too cold, raining. And so she started Badlands. It's an indoor um, play space for kids. There's a real learning component to it. So they have a workshop, they have a builder's area, they have classrooms, there's a curriculum. And so there's a lot, um, a lot about mindfulness there, 
but the kids can also run around and you know burn off some energy and then they can get quiet time and you know with their parents so it's it's been fabulous it's not far from here it's off a of randolph road oh that's and pretty Rockwell. close yeah so do you hang out there sometimes we were there today yeah, yeah we, so we so we take the kids so our little kids our six and eight year old they'll go during the weekends a lot because mike will have to go there and then the older kids two of them work there so oh do they on the weekends yeah, yeah. so, so they're you're I'm sure your children are, are miniature ambassadors of the uh, of Badlands. So they are. I haven't been inside, but I I was looking at her website and it's it's pretty cool. It is. It's been it's just been a huge success, and um, I'm really proud of her what she's been able to do. It's, it's great. Did she come up with the idea? All around. Yeah. Yeah. And so when you put this into implementation and fruition, um, the business plan was there. Is and it seems like, especially in Montgomery County, there must be a real marketplace for that. I mean, it has to be um, a, a really engaging environment where parents can come. And I saw that there's a membership where you can come in and um, and c- can do parents typically stay with their children while they're there, or can they drop them off? Or so so the parents generally stay there, and the, and the parents have an option of playing being like being interactive with their children. They can go to the workshop and build something. They can, you know, there's a game room area. They can play with it. Or there's also a really high-end cafe. They can go to the cafe. They can jump on their laptop. They can get a cappuccino and they can do some work. And so you see both. And my, my big idea was to go back to sports. Yeah. Was like I said, we need to have big screen TVs playing, you know, football games on Sunday, yeah. college football on Saturday. And like, so the Olympics were, were playing yeah. this past weekend. And, um, so that the parents can come in and enjoy themselves or they, and their kids can have fun. So put some lounges in there and man, you'd have a real tree if you had a bar. <laughs> yeah, there, there is a bar. Oh, is there a bar? There is a bar. Yeah, okay. Yeah. There's a full bar. Yeah. Wow. And, um, so the, the, the concept was it needed to be convenient for the parents. It needed to be clean. Um, it needed yeah. to be, have create creative elements for the children. So yeah, it's been, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah. You've stuck to Montgomery County as home base. Um, personally and professionally uh, you opened a business here and you and your business was based out of Rockville yeah and I want to talk a little bit about that and just to go into more detail um, about it was um, I'm specifically returning to referring to Catalyst Health Solutions sure. it's a fortune 500 company um, and that business experience bringing it to the county level I think that's that is what people are yearning for in this community. I really do believe that. And this was, you know, it was founded in 1998. Right. And um, you were the CEO from, was it 98 until 2012? Yep. And let's talk about some of the work that you did um, at, at Cattle's Health Solutions. What was the concept and what was achieved during the time that you spent as the, its chief executive officer? So, so, so between 98 and when we sold in 2012, we went from, it was me and, um, one other individual, um, Debbie Wagner, was with me. She was fabulous. And um, so we started that company, and um, we built it from two people to thousands of people um, into a publicly traded company. Mm-hmm. Um, when I left, we had $6 billion in revenues. And the, the concept was, we were, you know, I was obviously had been in the healthcare space, um, whether it was you know, on the supplemental health disability side or whether it was on the COBRA benefits. And one of the things that just kept coming up was the cost of prescription drugs. And there was this real mystery behind prescription drugs and what they really cost. And so the, the concept was pretty simple, which was transparency, which is, so we're going to actually negotiate directly with the drug manufacturers and with the pharmacy chains, and we're going to have transparency with our customers. So there was no mystery. 
because and this is still today there's rebates and so there's there's a lot of transactions that go on that aren't well understood by either the members or the health plans and so um one of our sayings was hey come on into our offices we'll show you all of our contracts we have with the drug manufacturers and the pharmacies so you can make sure you're getting 100 percent of the discount so you were a bit of a middle were you a middleman or so we provided technology solutions to help so we started with uh, employers companies um, but then we also had a lot of union business as well as state and local government business we did the state of maryland employees and so what we did is um we provided the the, the management component of the pharmacy benefits so everything from the adjudication of the claims so just make it simple if you were to go into a walgreens or cvs and you would show them your ID. There's a whole industry that's behind that transaction because they need to make sure you're an eligible member. Mm-hmm. They want to go through edits about refill too soon or drug-to-drug interaction. Then they want to make sure you're getting a, the appropriate discount. They need to alert Walmart or Walgreens, wherever you are, how much you owe, what your out-of-pocket is. Mm-hmm. And so there's a whole industry behind that. And so that's part of what we did. But then but then our the way we differentiated ourselves with, was with transparency so, for example, the state of Maryland was very much interested in that. Um, we, we brought local solutions. So um, one of the things that while we were a national company, we had significant concentrations of clients in about 30 different areas across the country where we would have a local presence with pharmacists that would be out there meeting with the doctors and the employers and the members about how they could get um, access to you know more affordable medications. Hmm. So... It must have been a business owner, and especially Montgomery County. Did you hired pretty much from mostly Montgomery County residents that lived here? You know what? It was a combination of. I mean, so certainly at the at the onset, it was all Montgomery County residents, and we have such a fabulous pool of talent here. Yeah. And but then as the company grew, you know, we started recruiting more nationally for for leadership positions as well, and so we would be a combination of both. Um, and. Not in addition to um, your business, um, you are, you and your family are, have have done a lot of uh, philanthropical work as well. Talk about that. So you know, it's, it's, so we didn't. My wife and I didn't sit down ten years ago and say, "What's our what's our strategy for um, supporting uh, the various organizations in our community?" And um, but then looking back at it over a ten year period, it's pretty clear where we put a lot of our efforts, whether it's um, serving on boards, whether it's being founding members um, or contributing financially. And they tend to be around early childhood education is a big push for ours. Yeah. Um, I mean, really education all across the board. Um, initiatives that aim to end poverty, um, initiatives that have, tend to help the most disadvantaged in our community. So we've done a lot of work there. Um, entrepreneurship. So that's one of the things that I've tried to give back and helping with um, getting entrepreneurship classes into middle schools and high schools in the area, having competitions. And so that's, that's generally where we've been supportive. Um, my wife, we, for example, we were the founding Washington members of, for something called the Peer Health Exchange, mm-hmm. which is a fabulous organization where they actually have um, college kids come in and meet with high school and junior high kids. And it's because they're close in age, there's a much easier time connecting around sensitive subjects like sex and drugs, that type of thing. You decided when exactly that you wanted to jump into politics. Mm -hmm. When was that moment? So there wasn't an aha moment, but over 
having spent my entire life here, and you said it early on in this discussion, right, how Montgomery County has changed. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of it's been for the better, but some of it's been for the worse. And so the, the business climate here um, has always really bothered me. So having built a, you know, a Fortune 500 company in Montgomery County, we, I wasn't, we were never visited by the city of Rockville or the county of Montgomery or the state. Right. And, and I didn't know that that wasn't good customer service until we started opening up offices elsewhere. And I learned how difficult it was to do business in Montgomery County. And then um, the, over this, let's say, 10-year, 15-year period, I've just seen the county divide. And there's areas in Gaithersburg and Montgomery Village and Lake Forest Mall where we, my parents would drop us off when we were kids because we had a lot of friends in those areas. Mm-hmm. And I've seen those areas just change drastically. And so I've, want, I've always wanted to give back um, in a public service role and this the timing was not right for me yeah you so you you know once you sold your business um i'm gonna say you didn't have time that freed up because you're in you're involved in a lot of different adventures but um in montgomery county what i have noticed since being here and living in the community that i've talked to quite a few people who have said you know while montgomery county has plenty of great opportunities new businesses incredibly talented workforce we're educated um we are i think we're driving the state and we're thought leaders um for the state of maryland the business community has taken a beating from some of its elected officials and that's what i hear constantly that it's tough to do business here and for that reason um i see that your candidacy um could bring some clarity to that area that it's okay to start a business here and that government is going to work on your behalf and not so much against you. Um, and you are also a part of a group called Empower Montgomery, which is an advocacy group that was founded in 2015, and that was to increase the business, um, the influence of the business community. You want to talk a little bit about that? Sure. So, um, so Empower Montgomery was um, a couple things. One was to get out the vote campaign that the, that the, the even the name implies empower Montgomery that the Montgomery County residences aren't voting mm-hmm. and so we need to get the vote out and so and then certainly from a business perspective it felt like the businesses weren't well represented yeah I I look at some of the businesses here from all the way down in Tacoma Park from Silver Spring and I see there's, there's, like I said, there's so much opportunity, David. There's really so much opportunity. Um, it's just that they've sometimes been met with pushback from county government. So I want to go into uh, a little bit about policy, and I want to talk about your candidate platform. But, um, you know, I, I first want to say that when, when you first announced, which I believe was back in November, is that correct? That's right. Yeah. Um, I... And, and just to get it out in the open, um, you did a Bethesda Beat article, and the rollout that you had, um, some people criticized you for it, right? right? And some people said, well, you know, we're not sure about, you know, David Blair seems like an interesting candidate, but um, it looks like they, you know, he may not be ready for public office, or that he's just, yeah, you know, we're, we're, we're just unsure about him. So I, I'm sure since jumping into the race, you've probably learned a lot about how campaigns work, right? Right. And sure. maybe not the ideal rollout, but since then, you were here in this office 
I, I know no other candidate that has a space like this. What I've seen with your campaign is that you have engaged all, all sectors of Montgomery County's population. And that to me is really unique in a way. And I think that I've seen you grow as a candidate since you first rolled out your, your message. So I want to talk about why are you running for Montgomery County executive? What's the real, what's the purpose behind this movement here? So, so the, 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 the short answer is, so we're raising our family here. It's our community and we're slipping that we're not reaching our potential. And I, I believe I have the unique skill set to get us back on track. And so, you know, we will talk probably a little about jobs and growing the economy. And that's, that's so critical because we have these wonderful programs, these social services, um, the, the school system here that all cost a lot of money and the, to pay for that over the past 15 years, as our population has grown, we've just been increasing taxes. And so it's getting so expensive to live here. And that's because we haven't been creating jobs. And so we've got to start creating jobs. The, you know, the statistic that, that I used, I think, when you were here at our kickoff party mm-hmm. was we've created less than 4,000 private sector jobs here over a 15-year period, while the population has grown by, by 150,000. So less than 4,000 private sector jobs, population has grown by 150,000. So you're talking about one job for every 38 residents. And so you think about the strain that that puts on our, you know, the roadways, right? I mean, each morning... 200,000 people are getting in their cars and they're heading you know, south. To, oh, the roadways. Yeah, to Virginia or D.C. for job opportunities. And so, so we've got to start creating jobs here in Montgomery County. I agree. Um, I think the community is ripe for that. And with jobs comes the responsibility of upgrading our infrastructure. Mm-hmm. I think people, when they are sitting in traffic and they are stuck on 495, and I experienced this phenomena Every day, the bottleneck, the infamous bottleneck at the American Legion Bridge, and I'm coming back from Northern Virginia at night, and for instance, on Friday night, I sat in traffic literally on the American Legion Bridge for over 20 minutes standstill. I go up, and then I'm thinking, do I want to go up River Road, or do I want to go up Clara Barton, and I'm trying to gauge this in my head. What's the best way to get home? And it's still time that I spend away from our two kids. And as you're on the road and you're out campaigning and you get stuck in traffic and I'm sure, hey, you're a candidate, you're a human being at sure. night, you want to get home and see your wife sure. and kids. Nobody wants to sit in this traffic. And I think when voters think about this, they ultimately blame politicians right. and they, they may not necessarily blame county officials. They may not blame Ike Leggett. They may not blame uh, Larry Hogan or previous administrations. They, they think of, well, how can this traffic be mitigated? So What's the plan here, David? How yeah. can we fix this problem that we have in Montgomery County? Well, so you're, so you're, 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 you're absolutely right in many respects. So one, um, many of these problems are self-inflicted. So we've, you know, we've approved new residential communities, but we didn't build the roads, right? So we have these beautiful master plans that are put in place for new communities, and they include everything from mass transit to schools to roadways to you know, residential units. But then we don't implement the plans fully. We just implement the building of the new houses. And then we're surprised. We act surprised when traffic is bad or the schools are overcrowded. And so one of the things I would do as county executive is not only would we have these master plans, we would have an implementation plan, right? So we, we have to be thoughtful about how we, you know, we can't build new houses unless we're going to invest in the infrastructure. And you're, you're so right about how you segue from jobs to the infrastructure, because when I would recruit um, 
talent to Montgomery County from around the country, you know, the first thing you typically hear is like, oh my gosh, I just looked up the school systems are great. My mm-hmm. wife is happy. Like we're going to, we're looking forward to moving there. And then they'd start looking at the commute times and the cost of living. And they'd say, I'd hear something maybe like, well, David, you know, in Dallas, you know, I live 15 minutes from the, the office and I have a house of this style. And now I'm going to need to, you know, I'm going to be an hour's commute away to have the same type of house. And so it's a real problem to attract business here when you have that kind of traffic. Yeah, it is. Okay, so here's so, – so one of the things that I've been doing for the last couple of years um, is – so when I serve on Ike Leggett's Economic Advisory Group, I've also participated with the Bipartisan Policy Center. And I've, I've spent a tremendous amount of time with our government officials, um, our department heads, community leaders, civic leaders – I mean, traffic engineers and trying to understand what are best practices around the country and what should we be doing? And so, so traffic, um, I divide that up into kind of short-term and long-term. I usually don't really talk about long-term that much because people just want to know, okay, how are you going to help me like in my lifetime? And so we talk about syncing the traffic lights. So this is a pretty simple concept that's been out there for a while. So they're called adaptive light signals and Communities like Pittsburgh have put them in mm-hmm. place where they've seen, you know, 15 to 20 percent reduction in commute times, idling times dropped by 40 percent. And so this is something that we need to do here. Just fixing County. the traffic lights. Just fix the traffic lights. We have 800 traffic lights. And here's, here's what, here's, you know, you asked me why I'm running. So here's, here's a perfect reason why I'm running. And this drives me crazy about Montgomery County. So four years ago, we, the county council approved a pilot and we put in a couple of these lights on Montrose Road. Mm-hmm. Four years ago, right? So World War II started and was over, okay, in that period of time. And we've only gotten four, like three or four lights done out of 800 in a four-year period. And, I mean, so I'm thinking about you driving home to see your kids, yeah. right? And so wouldn't it be nice, can you imagine the, the, our 1.1 million residents, the, the quality of life we could improve if we just invested in our traffic light signals? So, so I never thought of it that way. So that's so for sure. That's one. Another one that, that drives me crazy. Um, ride on buses. I sit here at our, our campaign offices and I see them. There's a, two stops out that I can see from my window, and they're generally one third or less full. And so these buses cost upwards of a half a million dollars each. The maintenance is high, and so we need to get people on the ride on buses, or we need to start buying smaller buses. So I would make ride on buses free. We, we, we subsidize, we, we spend about $120 million a year as a county to run the ride-on fleet, and we collect $20 million in fares. So we massively subsidize it. So let's make it free and see if we can fill up these buses and get people off the roads. And if we can't, we could be buying $70,000, you know, 12-person passenger vans, which would make much more sense if we can't get them on there. Microtransit. So the whole transportation world is just going to get turned upside down over the next five, 10 years. So the microtransits are like kind of point-to-point transportation. Where the, the, cha- the challenge with public transportation is oftentimes the first mile and the last mile, mm-hmm. and microtransit addresses that. And when you say microtransit, could you clarify what that means? So um, it's, it's, it's kind of like Uber. Yeah. So it's like Uber. And, and one of the things I do is when, when I see that empty ride-on bus go by, I'll click on my phone and see how many Ubers are right around that area. There's just like seven, ten Ubers in this little area. And so the convenience of Uber and UberX has gotten so great that across the country you see 
public transportation is starting to drop. Mm. And so microtransit could be, you know, you go on your smartphone, you click a button, instead of, you know, a 40-passenger ride-on bus showing up, a 12-passenger bus shows up right at your, you know, right here at the campaign offices or your house, and then takes you to your appointment. Maybe they pick up some other passengers along the way, yeah. maybe they drop some people off, but it's a level of convenience that, that our residents are looking for. And particularly, and particularly our seniors. That's that's where I hear it the most. Talking about buses and staying in that same lane, no pun intended. What's your view on bus rapid transit? So I like bus rapid transit, but but for it to work, they, you need to have dedicated lanes because it needs to be fast. And we right? don't. Right. We don't. We have I think on 29 there's 18 some miles. A third of it is roughly, yeah. and it's got to be really cost effective. So I would look to make we need dedicated lanes, and it needs to be super cheap. I would make it free. And so, so something like, like I look at 270, I-270 all the time, and it drives me crazy because our north-south traffic is so predictable <laughs> that it wouldn't be difficult to take two lanes and say, okay, these are going to be reversible lanes, and we're going to dedicate one to bus rapid transit, or we're going to dedicate one to HOV, because we've got to address the north-south traffic issues that we have here in the county. Yeah, we do. Um, and looking at Metro, which is right. another major, major public transit system that we use. David, I would say that Metro has had incredible problems over the last 10, 15 years. And really recently with the people are afraid to ride Metro, to be honest with you. And, and I won't say who, but one of the candidates told me, um, you know, like I said, um, my fiance, Kim, she drives every day to Bethesda and, the candidate said, well, why doesn't she just take Metro? It's mm-hmm. easy. Well, it's not easy mm-hmm. because we have to get to the station and then we're unsure of whether it's reliable. Sometimes it's single tracks. And so as a county, um, what can we do to work with state and federal officials to fix this massive Metro issue? Yeah. So you're, so, so of all the transportation issues that, that we'll talk about, so making sure that Metro is reliable is probably the number one thing we need to focus on because if Metro goes, um, we're going to be, we're going to take a giant step backwards. Yeah. And so, um, so you're, and you're absolutely right. It's, it's working with the state and other local jurisdictions to make sure we get Metro back on track and we get dedicated funding so that, um, you know, it seems like every week, right. We're here, I hear on the radio, Hey, the red line is down or we're on a single track for this line. And yeah, you know, it, it is a problem. Yeah. And so I know that our state leaders are working with one another. And I know that, and, and speaking of uh, 270 and Metro and how both connect, I know that um, Congressman Delaney um, is working on a, a transit group. It's called Fix I-270. Mm-hmm. And so the, the problem with I-270 is, a, a, well, it's, <laughs> I can think of 10 problems. But number one is that it's been, Governor Hogan has proposed um, toll lane. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think so. Um, that just makes Montgomery County less affordable yeah. for the residents. And so, the you know, one of my big initiatives is how are we going to make this county more affordable? Because, you know, many of the residents, it's not whether it's the cost of living, whether it's the cost of transportation, health care, you know, you name it. We've, we've got to figure out how to make this county more affordable. Yeah. Speaking of, of affordable, a major issue that has come about is affordable housing. People want to move to Montgomery County for, as we discussed earlier in this program, a multitude of reasons. But 
the housing is virtually unaffordable for some people. Mm-hmm. For a regular middle class family, they just can't afford it. And so, what are your some what are your ideas on affordable housing here in Montgomery? Well, so so yes, it's really expensive. So we've raised taxes, property taxes, ten years in a row. So it yeah. just it just goes up every single year. And the of, last one was a big hit to a lot of people. It was, and so that that just makes this county really hard to live in, and and particularly for the population that's on fixed income, our seniors. Mm-hmm. And so when I meet with them, the two things that come up are, you know, are you going to raise my property taxes again? And what am I going to do about my prescription costs? But so for affordable, so, um, so for affordable housing, so Montgomery County is really the leader that we set aside 12 and percent of new units to be moderately priced dwelling units. It's really a remarkable program. Um, I want to review the program and make sure the most needy people are getting them those units because um, the what I've been told and what I've seen is we use we don't base 12 and a half percent off of square footage we do it on units and so oftentimes the developers are giving the kind of smaller units that they would only have a single person versus really we should be helping out the moms and the dads that might have a kid or two right so to have affordable housing you need to have affordable land right and that land is really expensive yeah. here so my proposal, and this is, again, this is, these are not just my ideas. These are with meeting with kind of the top community leaders around here to say, okay, what, how can we address this? And so one of the things that the county owns are these public parking lots. Mm-hmm. We own these, and many of them are surface lots or maybe they're two or three stores. We could sell the air rights above those to developers. Mm-hmm. And we could say to a developer, you know, you can put on you know, three stories or four stories of, of apartments here. Um, and sell that, or we could lease that to them, you know, do a long-term lease. And in that moment, we could also dictate a higher level of MPDU. So we could say rather than 12 and a half percent needs to be 25% or 30%. And so I would look to pursue those kind of creative solutions because, you know, I said earlier, 200,000 people leave every morning. Well, another 200,000 people come into our county every morning to work. And so like our teachers, our first responders can't afford to live here. And it's such a better quality of life, right? If we could have those individuals not only work here but live here. Get them off the you know, get them off of 270 so they're not you know, stuck in traffic for an hour yeah. every day. Um, so that's that's what I would that's so stop raising property taxes and more MPDUs um, by selling some of the county land. Well, and speaking of that property taxes, that has been a contentious issue in the county since they raised them. I believe it was 2015. That's when it went up 8.8 percent, almost nine percent in property taxes, and right. um, that was a major hit and I understand why they did it. And I know that many of the county councilmen swear by this and they say they had to do that. And that was a tough call. And they, they all concede that point. And, and I, and I want to move into this direction, David, that you, you have not ever, you have not been an elected official before. And some of your opponents have been in county government for 10, 15 years. Um, And they've, they've, not only been in county government, but they've been here. Um, their name is is, is certainly um, at the top of everybody's mind. Would you say that you're running as an outsider? Is that fair? Well, you know what? I'm an insider in that I've been here my whole life. Yeah. Right? But but I but I um, definitely have a different background than the individuals that I'm running with. So I don't have um, a legislative track record of you know drafting legislation. Um, I have a track record of getting things done. Right? I'm the only executive that's in this race. And this is for an executive role. And so I think about the unique skills that I bring to the table. We talked about the ability to retain and attract top talent. I mean, we should be 
making sure we have the best and the brightest here running all of our government agencies. Many of them might already be here, but we have that ability. Compensation strategies, making sure we're incentivizing our top government officials appropriately. You know, one of the things that um, we didn't talk about in my business experience, but it's, it's similar to county government. So the, our county employees, that's where the rubber meets the road, right? Because they're the ones that are interacting with our mm-hmm. residents. That's right. And how are we going to invest in them? And so at my company, we were very creative to make sure that we had them engaged and, pro- and properly trained. So let me give you a couple examples. So one benefit that we provided to our employees was an American car benefit. So any employee that purchased an American car or truck, we paid half of their monthly car payment wow. up to $400 a month. And so what that immediately did was it showed them that we cared about them. We got a level of um, retention. So we didn't, we didn't, we had very low involuntary turnover. Um, and so this could be anybody. And when, you know, when we were a small company with 10 employees, you know, it didn't seem like that big of a deal. But later when we had thousands of employees, we'd literally bought in tens of millions of dollars of American cars and trucks. And it was a phenomenal program. We invested in the employees also by, um, Every employee that joined our company became a certified pharmacy technician. Wow. And so these are folks that might be working in a distribution center, might be on the call center, and perhaps they had you know, a little bit of college or no college experience. And the first thing that we did is, okay, we're going to pay for you to take a 90-day online class during working hours. You're going to get some mentoring. At the end, you're going to take a test. And what happened is, concluding that, um, a letter showed up from the State Board of Pharmacy, and it was their certificate. And so they were somebody. And so we, they, they went from just being a call center rapper to being, hey, I'm a licensed certified pharmacy technician working for a healthcare company. And so that's the kind of program that we need to have in Montgomery County today. It's, it's crazy. Something like 25% of the kids that are graduating from high school in Montgomery County are neither college ready or career ready. Yeah. So investing in kind of frontline employees, um, of course, my skills have a lot of you know, keen insights into healthcare and technology. County spends a tremendous amount of money here on healthcare. You know, we spend $300 million taking care of um, our residents that might have some big ideas around how we could revamp healthcare. So, so I think I bring a unique skill set as an executive. Um, you know, how do you, how do you get things done in a team environment, you know, in a collaborative way, in a transparent way. So um, I'm looking forward to bringing that to Montgomery County. What do you think that, Looking at the county and, and some of your opponents, they, as we mentioned, they have been doing county government for a long time. Right. And so you are, you're coming into this as a businessman. And has there ever been any, and I would say this, has there been any unfair parallels like, like oh, well, we have a businessman in the White House and that's not working. Mm-hmm. And I think we can all admit that there's some major problems in Washington. Right. Um, have you gotten any pushback to say, Oh, geez, I don't think we need a businessman or, you know, a business executive to be our next county executive. We want a politician. No. I, so, so, the, so what I hear um, the most is we need a vision. We need a direction. Right. So, so, so Ike Leggett did a tremendous job getting us through the financial crisis. He's, he had some great programs. But where are we going to go next as a county? And I have a vision for that about where we can take this county. Because – you know, I, one of the things that drives me crazy is how when we, when we compare, we often compare Montgomery County to the surrounding counties or maybe to the average of Maryland. And we can all pat ourselves on the back because we look good in that limited comparison. I don't want to do that anymore. I want to compare ourselves. Let's, let's be the best in the country, not just the best in Maryland. Yeah. The big get 
of, of 2018 would be Amazon. We all want Amazon. And we all, you know, the governor went to Amazon, and I think he's put together a pretty viable plan to attract them. Montgomery County is, what, one of the top 20? And I think we're probably looked at, I would say we're in the top 10, maybe in the top five. Sure. And as we mentioned over and over, we do have the workforce. But my concern is, is that are we ready? Do we have the infrastructure to support such an increase? So I want to hear David Blair's, his spin on the Amazon um, coming to Montgomery County. What are your thoughts on that? Well, so it's, it's a tremendous opportunity. Right. It, it, it's fabulous. That, do you know Jeff Bezos? I do not. Oh, I wish you did. <laughs> um, Get so, him on the line. So it's a fabulous um, opportunity, and it has to be done right. So this is going to be all around execution. And the, the, the site isn't far from our campaign headquarters, and I drive by, and I'm like, okay, so how it's are we going to – It's the Whiteplus site, right? Well, that's what – I mean, it's what I think everybody's been saying is, right? Yeah. Um, and how are we going to execute on that, right? Because if we – the $2 billion package that – we put forth for infrastructure improvement. So new metro stops, the new roadways, all of that looks like it'll work, right? But we actually have to do it. And so we can't, you know, Amazon won't want to move here if we promise $2 billion and then we don't get it done. And likewise, we wouldn't want them here if we don't invest in the infrastructure. Right. So this is, this is going to have to be executed flawlessly. And it goes back to something I said earlier about an implementation plan. So we're, can't just be about we have, we have a master plan, but how we're going to implement it in a way that's thoughtful, so that you know we don't have overcrowded schools, our roads aren't jammed up, right? And we do have overcrowded schools well, because we haven't been thoughtful about planning. And you know, you earlier you said about the taxes. You know, we raised the taxes at 8.7 percent. Well, when you don't properly plan, that's what you got to do. We talked about this offline, and that stuck with me when I left your campaign kickoff last week. We just briefly touched upon some of the planning decisions. Right. And the planning board has significant power in this community, in this county. And I, I think that sometimes they, they, they don't often plan strategically. And as someone who has a foundation in business, what can we do to ensure that, one, we stop overcrowding schools, that we plan accordingly to the community's needs, and three, what is it that the planning board can do in the future that can really re revolutionize the way that we think about, you know, basic structures here in Montgomery County? What's your plan? Well, so so the, it's it's the, the master plans are terrific that we put together, but we're just not executing. And so if you go up to you know Clarksburg, right? Yeah. There's you know fastest growing community here in Montgomery yeah. County, beautiful new residential communities, and we don't have the roads, right? So if you if you want to you know, get people fired up, talk about M83 and why you is support it that? that? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because if we, Rich Parsons is listening, you just made his day. Okay. <laughs> well, and, and I support it because we made a commitment to those residents, yeah. right? So like we can't leave them high and dry. They're, okay. We built, you built this house, you moved there on the promise. We're going to put a roadway in, then we never put it in. That doesn't work. And so we need to follow through on our commitments. Yeah, I agree. I mean, yeah. that's, it's been in the master plan for how long? Right, fifteen years. I don't know, yeah. a long time for a long time, right. and I I hear county councilmen, county executive candidates still bashing, still bashing 
the uh, 200, you know, the, the ICC. And I mean, then there was the fight over, well, you know, it's named after Bob Ehrlich and whatnot, but I use the ICC a lot, David, you know, when I go, like we were talking about going to the Eastern shore, you just zip across there. Yeah. And I, I think it's a fantastic uh, roadway. And yes, I know that there was some environmental concerns, but I am, I, I think that the, the flexibility that it has given Montgomery County residents has far outweighed that. I really do. Sure. No, I use I use ICC as well quite a bit. Yeah. It's, it's been great. And I think we've I think we've addressed a lot of the east-west traffic issues with the ICC and with the purple line coming in. And so that's when if we go back to the traffic conversation earlier, we've really got to start thinking about the north-south yeah. problems that we face. I want to talk a little bit about some politics and just kind of gauge your where you are as um, in, in your what you kind of characterize yourself as and look it's Montgomery County is a it's a democratic bastion there's there's way more Democrats than there are Republicans and someone like myself I'm a registered independent and I think that um, people are looking for someone who is progressive but also pragmatic and where in the spectrum do you fall on that the political scale so first of all um we can change your party affiliation before you leave tonight. <laughs> okay. we, got, we have a little Yeah, I saw your um, yeah. I saw your voter registration there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have a all right. So we'll, we'll get. We'll, we, I, can, <laughs> I can fix that right away. You got to plug me there. Yeah, all right. Yeah. So, so for me, um, absolutely, I believe I, I'm progressive, and so when I think about what's important to me and kind of key democratic values that I have, you know, one is when when a door is opened up for me, which has happened a lot in my lifetime. It's my obligation, my responsibility to reach back and pull the next person through. And I think if you look at my career, that's what I've done continually. It's four years from now, four and a half years now, when we look back on this first term, we'll, we'll measure it from well, how we did from the bottom up, not the top down. Right? We, all, we have a, um, a moral responsibility to do more um, for the most disadvantaged in our community. And I think my wife and I have proven a commitment to that through you know, the work that we've done with the philanthropic community. So that's, those are kind of the, the, some of the core principles that drive us. I, I, and I've noticed that. And that's, I think people are not necessarily focusing on, well, who's the most progressive or who, who's the most liberal of the Democrats. It's just who is the candidate who has a serious plan. And while many of your opponents do, who is the, who is the candidate can actually get it done. And I, I look at our council now that, um, and, and take, for instance, let's talk about term limits. Um, you know, in the last year, Montgomery County residents spoke last in 2016. Yeah, so I, so I can connect both of those points. So, so we overwhelmingly put in term limits. And I think a lot, large part of that is because um, we don't have a plan that the county council has. If you, if you look at the number of pilot programs that we put in place here, they're all over the county. And we haven't, we don't have a vision. And so, you know, things about education. So when mm-hmm. I get up there, like we have a specific plan around early childhood education. Like we're, we're serious about addressing this achievement gap. We have ideas. We've talked to the, the experts in the industry, both here in Montgomery County or the experts in the area, both in Montgomery County and across the country about what we can do, things about ending poverty. So I, I don't know that um, they all have um, ideas for what to do. There's, there's, a lot, I, there's a lot of rhetoric. Um, there's a lot of kicking the can down the road. Um, but what we're trying to put forth is, hey, what are actual ideas? What, what are things that we can pay for 
that have a that will provide a meaningful difference in people's lives. Yeah. Um, another issue that I hear, David, is that people are concerned what's happening nationally and that's carried down into our local communities, especially in our immigrant communities. Mm -hmm. And you talked to me today, or when I first arrived here at the campaign office, that you visited with um, the Montgomery County Muslim groups today. Mm -hmm. And people in our immigrant communities are rightfully fearful because of what's happening at the national level with President Trump's uh, Muslim ban, with the way that immigrants feel like they're being treated. And so here in our communities, we have to always I mean, I think it's very important that we ensure that our immigrants are protected, that they feel welcomed and secure. What are your thoughts on that? Well, so, so first, um, let's acknowledge what an amazing job Mike Leggett has done making this the most welcoming Absolutely. community in the country. And so it, it's with such pride that we have. There's such a diverse community here. It's, it's really exceptional. And I think one of the reasons that Amazon might be interested in Montgomery County is because of the diversity that we have here as a county. Um, and we need to preserve that. It really is the strength of, our, of Montgomery County. And so when I meet with, with the immigrant community, it's fearful. Um, it makes local politics or local government all the more important with what's going on in Washington, D.C. And so I think, I think the, we're doing a good job. We could do more of it. So like today, you know, we're talking about let's make sure that we're um, providing the necessary funding to protect the Muslim establishments. Yeah. Um, we have these great, you know, the Gilcrest, you know, immigration resource centers to make sure we're continually investing in those and expanding those um, for the immigrants. So um, you, 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 you hit the nail on the head with what's going on in Washington. makes it all the more important what we're doing here. Yeah. Um, and so as we spend the last few minutes, um, big issue on my mind is I've always asked myself, sometimes rhetorically, and or sometimes when I walk into a liquor store, why in the heck is Montgomery County in the liquor business? Mm -hmm. Can you answer that? I don't know. Well, yeah, no. I mean, I think I don't know that anybody can answer it. <laughs> unless you were here in like the 30s, perhaps. Yeah. Um, because so if you drew up, if, you had, if we had a blank slate and we would come up, how do we want to how do we want to distribute liquor in Montgomery County? I'm pretty sure this would not be the way. Right. Yeah. And so we have made decisions here as a county for decades that so we now find ourselves in this situation and it is um, difficult because we've got, you know, we've securitized bonds when we extended Montrose road to, you know, hundred million dollar bonds that are backed by the revenues from these, from the DLC, yep. the, 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 the liquor control. Um, we've got County employees. So we've made a commitment to these employees. And one of the things, um, so early in my career, I saw employees being laid off. It was a company I worked for um, right out of college. And I made a commitment that I was never going to lay anybody off. And so because my belief is that the employer has just as big an obligation to the employee as the employee does to the employer. And they're going to make a commitment to the employer. And it goes both ways. And so we can't forget about the 250 employees that we've made a commitment to. Presumably they've bought houses or cars or have kids in college. And so that's a big deal. But then also we need to make sure that we're providing a level of service, competitive pricing, selection, that we're um, creating an entrepreneurial environment that would want, you know, new hotels or restaurants to start up here. So it's a, it's a complicated situation that we find ourselves in. So it sounds like to me that you want to get Montgomery County out of the liquor business. So we should not be in the liquor business, but it's, it's, we, we've made certain decisions that, that, you know, put us in a corner. It's a lot of jobs and we all understand that, yeah. that, that would, that would be at stake. But um, I, 
I, I am in violent agreement that we should be out of the liquor right. business. So, um, David, wrapping up, um, and we'll, we'll have another opportunity to touch more on, especially education. That's right. a big issue um, that we didn't cover in depth tonight. But what do you want voters to know about you and your candidacy? So, um, so one, the 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 willingness to um, listen um, and be open and be collaborative to everyone. And so the the ideas that we've come up around education or transportation um, are really the best ideas that are out there. And then the ability to execute, to put teams together um, is what I've done my entire life as a um, chief executive officer. Um, and so, and then, and then lastly, I would say a unique experience creating jobs. I've created thousands of jobs and later this month, we're going to roll out our jobs plan in conjunction with the black chamber of commerce debate. And you'll see a comprehensive plan to create, to start creating jobs here and you know, reverse that tie to the statistic I told you earlier. Um, cause that's got to change. Yeah. Well, it's a pleasure having you. This is the first time on a minor detail that um, you've been on. But, um, I, you know, I always want to say thank you for running because I think you're putting forth um, a real vision for the county. There's lots of great candidates out there, and I think you're one of them. And uh, your message is resonating. I see your Facebook, um, and you're always in the morning seems to be out at the metro stations and you're meeting voters and you're having these really important conversations, even if it's just in passing, you know, they, they want to know a quick issue. I am a piece of literature and you introduce yourself. So, um, moving forward, David, I wish you the best of luck, um, and keep in touch. And I should plug your website, which it's, is it, is it Blair from Montgomery? Blair from Montgomery. Yep. Blair from Montgomery.com. David, thank you so much. Thank you very much. Absolutely. All right. Well, you, um, you have a great rest of the week, and uh, I'm sure we'll see you out. And with that, we'll go ahead and end it. Um, and David will have access to this interview, um, and I'm sure that uh, they'll, they'll share that. And so you can always find us on blogtalkradio.com slash a minor detail and on the web at a minor detail.com. And have a great week, everybody. Thanks.